Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the one who has given you faith, the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is Trinity Sunday, and usually on Trinity Sunday, once a year, liturgical congregations use the Athanasian Creed, which is the most elaborate creed combating the most heresies in the Christian church, named after Athanasius, who was a driving force behind the Nicene Creed. It's a very long creed, and I always get questions on one part of that. We confess, at his coming, all people will rise with their own bodies to answer for their personal deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, but those who have done evil will go into eternal fire. Doesn't that kind of sound like it's saying if you do good works, then you're saved? It doesn't say you're saved by those good works, though. Jesus himself in the Gospels, when he talks about Judgment Day, points to your works as evidence. See, you can't do good works unless you are engrafted onto Christ as a branch is to the vine. You can't, and, and otherwise, if you're an unbeliever, even though you might benefit your fellow man tremendously because of all the sin that hasn't been washed away, as God uh, said through the prophet Isaiah, your works are filthy rags before me. So with that cleared up, when we end that part of the Athanasian Creed, well, when we end the Athanasian Creed, we say, whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved. That always seems to smack me on my head and knock me down. Whoa! What about a child who doesn't understand? Well, it's one thing to not have the ability to grasp it or not be taught it. It's another thing, and I've met lots of Christians where the Bible is very clear about some of these things, yet they choose to not believe it, even though they see it's clearly in the Word of God. That is sinning against the Word of God. So the Athanasian Creed, like the others, is drawn from scriptures, especially about the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And somebody who would deny something that is in those, they're not the scriptures, they're not inspired, but they're drawn from the scriptures and in accord with them. It's like a cheat sheet. They are saying, I don't believe God's word, even though it says this. Now, John, the last of the living apostles, when he, when he wrote the, the three of his three epistles, John has always said things so simply. In fact, the summary of the Bible is John 3.16. And he says something that basically covers everything we confess in the Athanasian Creed very succinctly. And that's in our sermon text today. Our sermon text is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. We also have come to know and trust the love that God has for us. This is the word of our Lord. Now again, John says things very beautifully, very simplistically, and some people take the simplicity of what he says and says, all he's saying is you have to believe Jesus is, your, is the Son of God. There is a lot there. So, you know, if they're denying certain things about Jesus that the word of God teaches, John makes it simple. But how do we know? Like we confessed in that creed, whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved. How do we know that we're not going to fall from the faith? And so using John's words, we are going to discuss the theme, you remain in the work of the one and only triune God. I'm going to break this text up and cover the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that order. So we go to verse 14. 
For John says, we have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And of course, in verse 16, he says, we've also come to know and trust the love that God has for us. God the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This was the plan. The Father planned to save you. See, God had created everything for Adam and Eve, and it was perfect. It was just the way it was supposed to be. Why did God let them fall into sin? Why didn't God stop the devil who directly rebelled against God, shall we say, before his throne, which is heaven? The answer scripture gives, and it's over, it's the whole point of scripture, is because God had a plan to save us. Anything else? Well, we're only speculating and we'll have to wait till we get to heaven. But God had a plan to save us. He even promises that to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. The most comforting thing here when we hear about the Father's love, even though his creation rebelled against him, he turned around and subjected this world to decay so that we would know this world is no longer paradise. We would ache for something better because he loves us and he's promised us that something better. He's given it to us with his son. But along with God's plan, we're told in Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He did this when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He did this in accordance with the good purpose of his will and for the praise of his glorious grace, which he's graciously given us in the one he loves. God the Father shows his love for you that better than 11,000 years ago, before he created time, He made sure he planned it out that you would be born in the right circumstances and be in the right places, that you would encounter that word, that he sent his son to do the work of salvation for you. More of that in a minute. And that you, the Holy Spirit, would enter your heart and give you the faith needed. More on that in a minute. So that you would know the father's love and be saved. A lot of Christians get confused. If over 11,000 years ago now, God the Father had planned out your life like this, who chose who? Christians get confused and think they have to choose God. But in our natural condition, because of our sin, we'll do, the one thing we are capable of doing is ignoring God or hating God. We cannot love God until God sends somebody with the message that we have a Savior, sends his Holy Spirit so that we believe it. We will not choose God. That is put in the cart before the horse. If he planned this out 11,000 years before your conception, God showed his love by choosing you. Now, once again, people get confused and they say, why me? It must be that I would resist faith less or that I would be more loving towards him. No, no. And some people say, well, it must be that God planned for the whole, God recognized other people would hate him more. Mean people, bad people. Scripture says God wants all people to be saved. There's a lot of a mystery there that we have to trust, but the comfort is God saved you. And the scripture's answer, if you go, why me and not my neighbor? If you're so concerned about your neighbor, don't be a hypocrite. God has given you the word of God. Please share the word of God with them. 
The people who give those arguments, the one thing you'll often find about them is they are not telling the world they need a savior and have a savior while they're busy condemning God, trying to blame him for people's condemnation. God loves you. And in fact, God instituted fatherhood to be a shadow of the fatherly love he has for you in providing for you and taking care of you. Sadly, throughout history, there have always been deadbeat dads who abandon their families and stuff. And today, today we really attack the institution of fatherhood. And don't kid yourself, though, the devil's behind that. Turn on television. You don't have to watch too long. The father who provides often a nicer house than most of us can afford for the family and some very elaborate meals... Well, he's the bumbling idiot of the family. Oftentimes, his five-year-old smart-alecky child knows more than he does. That's not truly a representation of the fatherly love in planning out your salvation and making sure that you were there to receive it and keeping it. So how do you remain in the work of the triune God when you come to the word? You are told of God the Father's love, of God providing for you and taking care of you. So by being in that word, you remain in the Father's love. Next, we're going to talk about our Savior. And once again, back to uh, verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. Sadly, there are people who profess to be Christians today who deny the virgin birth. In other words, Jesus would have a physical father and a physical mother. There are those who get confused. When you look, for example, at the, the Greek religion that was very prevalent at the time of Christ and especially before that, gods like Zeus, that man couldn't control his lust. He had children all over the place like Her Hercules and Perseus and stuff. When you confess... That, as John says, Jesus is the Son of God. Boy, you have a train load of scripture behind all of that. You're confessing that Jesus is true God, begotten, not made, true God from true God, begotten in all eternity, before God began the act of creation, and that he took on human flesh, that he could be perfectly righteous for you. Not making full use of all of his deity, he was able to be tempted in every way, but because he's God, he is holy. He wouldn't fall into those sins. When the devil took him, when the devil approached him in the wilderness and tempted him, for example, there, the devil gave him temptations that you and I could not stand up to. And few men ever are allowed to be tempted that way. Job certainly had the devil coming right at him, even though he didn't see the devil immediately doing it. But Jesus stood up to that for you so that you and I, who as I've already covered, were not righteous, were not holy, were not pure. In our own devices, we, we can only hate God. We have, to, we have to realize that oftentimes even just indifference towards God is hatred towards him because he loves us so much. And so Jesus came to be our righteousness, holiness, and purity. He did that perfectly. It often amazes me, and I just brought this up in Bible study. At 12 years old, he didn't have the sinful nature you and I had to get in the way. Our sinful nature does not want you to remember the word of God and that Jesus saves you. And so he didn't have that in the way, and the rabbis were amazed at the retention he had and his understanding he didn't even learn the word of God perfectly for you when you're credited with that. But it doesn't just end there. He had to remove your impurity after giving you his righteousness. And this is why true God goes to the cross. And this one defies understanding because Jesus himself is God who became flesh, God the Son. But God the Father and God the Holy Spirit abandoned him there on the cross. And that's the punishment of hell. 
And how he could bear an eternity of hell and get it done in three hours time, I have no ability to understand, but he's God. He can do what he wants. And so when we confess that Jesus is the son of God, we are confessing a lot there. John makes it so simple. The son has saved you. Again, Jesus says he sends the Holy Spirit so you believe. And in other portions of the Gospels, he says the Father sends the Holy Spirit. The answer is both do. And so that you would be convicted of that salvation, that you need a Savior, that you have a Savior, and you're engrafted to him. The Word of God constantly reminds you of it. It's why we come together constantly around the Word of God and why we do private devotion. So you remain in the work of the one and only triune God. You remain in the Father's love and you remain in the Son's salvation, the salvation he offered to you, he won for you, and made yours by the last member of the Trinity. Let's go back to verse 13 to cover the Holy Spirit. And when I say last, I don't mean like time-wise or even priorities, just the last one we're covering in our sermon text. John says, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. Now, let's stop there for a minute. He doesn't say, because you can just feel a burning in your bosom, as so many people put. He doesn't say, because you do this, this, or that. In fact, he doesn't even point to you. He says, he's given us of his spirit. If you want to know, if you remain in Christ, you've got to turn to the Holy Spirit who, as he told Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, we've yet to figure out a device that can measure if you've got the Holy Spirit or not. But he says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him. And he and God, we also have come to know and trust the love that God has for us. The devil knows that Jesus is true God who became true man, but the devil isn't saved. How can you know if you have the Holy Spirit? It's very simple. You hear the word of God, that's where he works. And when you hear that, if you hear, for example, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you say, yes, he came for the world. I am into that. And especially then be able to say, yes, I know I believe in him. I'm saved. Then you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually drives you to the word where he strengthens and nourishes the faith that he used the very word to create. If you want to know, if you have dark days where the devil is attacking you, you run to the word because that's where the Holy Spirit is. When you're done, if you can say, it seems everything, I'm depressed. It seems like the world's against me. But yes, I know Jesus is my savior. Then you know the Holy Spirit's there. You're engrafted onto Christ. And so here we see even more of that. He said, we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior. God gives different gifts to us. And some of us are very shy and timid. Others aren't. But when you think about it, for example, the apostles, they had seen how the Sanhedrin hated Christ. And then... Fifty days later, they're sent out with the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ. They couldn't do that without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives different gifts, but who of us thinking we're going to die would want to proclaim Christ? The Holy Spirit gives us that strength. Some of us are more timid than others. And my, those of us who live in America are blessed to know, at least at the present time, we're not going to be put to death for being Christians. The Holy Spirit sees to it that new man of yours is at work. He bears those fruits that are evidence of our faith because we're connected to Christ because of that Holy Spirit. And so we hear the word of God and we say, yes, that belongs to me. And we think about our neighbors and unbelievers say, Lord, open up a door for me. How do I share this with them? We want to share it with them. 
and the Holy Spirit, when the, when the door is open, when God the Father's planned out that opportunity, the Holy Spirit pushes us right through that door and we speak up. We confess we need a Savior and we have a Savior. And so we're told if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. How can you know the Holy Spirit's there? As long as you know Jesus is your Savior, he's clearly there. It says we've also come to know and trust the love that God has for us. It often seems like God hates us because he does allow heavy things to come upon us, hardships in this life. The truth of the matter is, and I've seen it with my own children, if I do everything for them, they really don't know my love. They, they, they become entitled. They take it for granted. They begin to demand things that they don't understand, that they could do themselves. God allows hardships for us so that we see that we need him, so that we rely on him. There's many other reasons. But when all of that, when we also know this is an act of God's love, and sometimes because of our sinful nature, we have to be reminded of that. Our sinful nature wants us to forget. But the Holy Spirit draws us right back with longing hearts to that word of God. And we hear God's love and we say, yes. God the Father loves me, so he made, sent his only begotten son to be my savior. My savior loved me, so he lived for me and died for me. And he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit who loves me, who's entered my heart and gave that new man and grafted me to Christ. All that working through that wonderful word. So you remain in the work of the one and only triune God. You remain in the Father's love. You remain in the Son's salvation. You remain in the Holy Spirit's faith. And so you too can say at the end of that Athanasian Creed, Whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved because you know all three of them are at work and remain at work, keeping, bringing you into and keeping you in your salvation. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.